This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. The book of Daniel, chapter 1. Just give you a moment to find that in your phone. Some of these in your tablets, your Bibles. Daniel uh, chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily portion of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. To them, the chief of the eunuchs gave names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not define himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not define himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. The chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward whom he uh, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test your servants for ten days. Let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies as you see fit. So deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them ten days. And at the end of the ten days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away from their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were given to drink and gave them vegetables. For these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. 
and in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of the king of Cyrus. If ever there was a chapter in the Bible that proves, especially to young people, that those who honor God, God will honor. If there ever was a portion of scripture that so captured the strength, the tenacity, and the courage of young believers, then surely it is this passage right here. These four young men were very astute, they were gifted. They were handsome. They were straight-A students. If they had lived in our day, they would be university graduates with honors degrees. They were skilled. They were articulate. All of them had great future career prospects. They were heading for the top. But best of all, they were godly. They worshipped the one true and living God. They were completely sold out to Jehovah. However, through no fault of their own, they find themselves in captivity as strangers in a foreign land. So what to do? How are they going to do? Will they compromise? Will they capitulate? Will they blend in like so many of their peers obviously had done because these are the only four mentioned? Or would they stay true and faithful and unswerving and uncompromising and unshakable in their situation? So what would they do? Thankfully, they stayed true and faithful and uncompromising and unshakable in their faith in the living God. And so we have, here we have believers who were living in a world of unbelief. Now remember these four young men were suddenly thrust into an entirely alien environment that they had never ever experienced or seen before. Babylon was pagan. It was godless. It was sensual. It was hedonistic. It was a place of vice and debauchery. It was a wicked and perverse place. And suddenly, these young men are seeing things and hearing things that they had never experienced in all of their lives. But now it's right in their face. Now you have to understand that Babylon in its day was the most modern the most influential, the most sought out, the largest and the greatest city on the face of the whole earth. It was enormous. This city, archaeologists and historians tells us, was huge. The measurements, depending on whether you measure from the outer walls or the inner walls, which were massive, was somewhere between 50 and 100 square miles. So this was an immense city by any standard, much bigger than London or even New York. It was built square. 
that streets ran at right angles to one another, much like a modern American city would be today. It had Euphrates River that ran right down the center of it, the great Euphrates River. By the way, this would be where Baghdad in Iraq would be today. That's the area geographically that we're talking about. And on either side, at one point, on either side of the city were two palaces. And they were bridged by a 1,000-foot, 30-foot-wide bridge. And there was a tunnel right underneath the river that joined the two palaces together. And there was vast areas of, of gardens and greenery and space between these great walls. The Hanging Gardens of Babylon was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So this is a magnificent city, incredible place. And on top of all of that, it had great teaching centers, learning centers, universities, we would say, schools of excellence for the like of astronomy, which they were experts in. And of course, astrology which they absolutely loved and lived their lives by. And so imagine these four young men being brought from Jerusalem, which was a small city at that time, to this great, vast metropolis and being confronted with things they never saw in their lives before. And here at the University of Babylon, for three years... They were under constant pressure to conform to this Chaldean lifestyle and to this way of Chaldean thinking. Forces and powers and systems and men all were conspiring to shape and to mold their lives and trying above all things to get them to compromise their faith in the one true living God. So my question is, is it any different for young people today? As Christians, we have a worldview that is formed by our biblical beliefs. And there's a world out there that doesn't like it and doesn't want it and doesn't agree with it. And especially our young people who are at places of learning are being confronted and pressurized to capitulate in their faith and their worldview, which is Christian, that is based on the Bible. So in a sense, it's no different today than it was all those years ago. Our young people today are being confronted with things that my generation never had to face. Never in a million years did we think we'd have to face these things. But here we are today, and they're facing them. You see, our views on morality, for instance, is based on God's Word. Amen. But that flies in the face of the prevailing attitudes to this world, does it not? When you start to talk morality today, it's a very subjective thing. If you ask somebody who would be an atheist, for instance, what about morality? Where did it come from? You get answers like, 
Well, it's something we learned. We learned from parents. We learned from others we grew up with. Or it's just innate. We were born with it. You say, well, what was it based on? If you learned it from somebody, where did they learn it from? You say, you were just born with it. Well, how could that be? We believe it's based on Holy Scripture. It's based on the Word of God. And the danger is once you separate morality from the Word of God, then your morality and my morality and somebody else's morality and somebody other person's morality, it can be all different. It can be whatever you want it to be. You can act however you want to act. And who's going to judge you in that? Because, well, your morality is not my morality. My morality is not your morality. If it's not based on the Word of God, then it's open to whatever you want to believe it to be. And that's why the words and the mess it's in today. And so morality has become a very subjective thing. But for the believer, for the Christian, we base it on God's Word. Our worldview is based on God's Word. Because it never changes. Our view of marriage is shaped by God's Word. But that flies in the face of conventional thinking today, does it not? Our Prime Minister has just resigned. And he said, I want to be remembered as the one who instituted gay marriage in Great Britain. I want to go down in history to be remembered by that. Yet at Easter time, he was talking about the great Christian faith and how we should stand for the great Christian faith. Well, the great Christian faith doesn't accept that. It's not the biblical worldview. But you see, if your morality doesn't line up with God's word, it can be whatever you want it to be, including marriage. He said very clearly, I'm glad that I made it possible for people who love each other to get married. Fair enough. And so here comes a brother and a sister who love each other. He says, we want to get married. Here comes a father and a daughter. Here comes a son and a mother. If the criteria is simply, we love each other, if that's all it's based on and not God's word, then who can judge? Who can say that's wrong? And that's the state that we've got ourselves into. So why? Because we have left aside God's word as our worldview. And our worldview now is what we want it to be. Believe me, you say, well, that's incest. That will never happen. Trust me. It's on the cards. It's, it's already happened in other countries. And why shouldn't it? What's the difference? If you love somebody, what is the difference? And that is the argument that will be pressed. Our view on mortality is based on God's Word because we believe every single life is precious in God's sight. We believe that a life on earth is finite. It has a beginning, has a middle, and it has an end. The big argument today for those who lay aside God's worldview is the argument is about the beginning and about the end. 
the beginning. When does life occur in the womb? When is a baby a baby? When is a human being? And that's why we have abortion today. Because it's just a part of a mother's body. It's a thing, it's a net. It's not a life, it's not a person. And so we have opened the floodgates. You go to the other end of the scale, at the end of life, euthanasia. How long will it be before it becomes law? Who knows? It'll be quicker than we imagine. Because you get to a certain age, you may think, well, life's not worth living. The trouble with that is then, once you legislate for it, it opens the floodgates. Hitler's Germany did that, and we all know what happened then. And so unless our worldview is based on God's word, and what the Babylonians were trying to do with these four bond members, change their worldview, get them away from believing God's word. Our view on materialism is shaped by God's word. How we spend our money, how we earn our money, how we save our money, how we give our money away. All of that, as Christians, is shaped by God's word. But if it's not shaped by God's word, then you can do whatever you like. No responsibility. But we believe that we are stewards of what God puts in our hands. And as stewards, then we're accountable with what we do with it. But the word doesn't necessarily believe that or think that. Hence the trouble we get ourselves into. And so as far as morality and mortality and marriage and materialism and everything else, our view is based on God's word. And that was one of the things they were trying to change in the minds of these four young men. How they thought. What their worldview was. They were bright, they were articulate, they were astute, they were clever, they were wise. But they needed their minds changed. They needed to think differently. And so here they were. They were faithful living in a world of compromise. What about the rest of the young captives? There'd be hundreds of them. What do we know about them? Nothing. Never mentioned. Could it be that they compromised? Could it be when they were offered the king's meat and the king's wine that they just simply blended into the background and took the easy way? Certainly possible and probable. And there's lots of Christians here, Christian comedians, depending on which company they're in. They want to blend in. They want to offend anybody. They want to upset anybody. They want to annoy anybody. Don't want to be the odd one out, so we'll just blend in. Well, these four would not blend in. <laughs> they stood out. And thank God they did stand out. Because out of all the hundreds of the young men and probably young women too that were there as captives to be brought into the king's household because that would be a big thing for conquering kings to have the brightest and best from other nations serving them. That was a prestige thing. But out of all the hundreds... Seems like just four stood up. The pressure to compromise was relentless. 
three years every single day. Verse 4, what they thought, how they thought, how they processed their thinking. Because when you go to school and you go to university, you're being taught. And sometimes, not so much what you're taught, but how to think, how to analyze, particularly when you go to uni, how to think, how to analyze. You're left with something over a period of months that you've got to come back and present to your tutors. They want to see your thinking processes, how you're thinking. And they were no different. They were given literature, the literature of the Chaldeans. <laughs> In other words, this is what we think. This is our way. This is how we do things. So you read that, soak yourself in that, get that inside of you, because that's what we want. That's the pressure they were continually under for three years, what they thought. When you go to uni, the pressure's on you to think differently. How many young Christians has lost their way at university? More than we could number because of the pressure to compromise. Verse 4, how they spoke. They had to learn the language of the Chaldeans. Remember that these four young men were going to have to live here for the rest of their lives. This captivity lasted for 70 years. Precisely the reason for it was that's because Judah had compromised the Sabbaths for the land. Every seven years, God made a, a law that the land was to be rested. It was to be a Sabbath rest for the land every seven years. And for 490 years, they did not rest every seventh year. So there were 70 of those years when they broke that Sabbath rule. And God says, okay, I'll send you into captivity for 70 years. For every year you broke that rule, I'll send you into captivity. So the reality was these were teenage men. They were going to have to live there probably for the rest of their whole lives. So they'd have to learn the language, how they spoke. It's so easy to assimilate into the company and the world around us by our talk, by how we speak. And we begin to speak the way everybody else speaks. Now, I don't mean that we shouldn't have a bit of crack and a bit of fun and a laugh. That's fine. That's okay. But be careful that we don't go over a line where we're no different than anybody else. I remember getting into work the very first night I became a believer. It was a Sunday night. We worked in shift systems, and we started on a Sunday night at 11 o'clock. Been to church that night. Saved the night before, been to church that night. No one was going to have to go into work. No one was going to have to nail my colors to the mast, wondering what they would think. Gaudi has become good living. Well, I needn't have worried because I wasn't there five minutes. 
to one of my friends came and he says, hey, did you hear this one? And I stopped him and I says, I don't want to hear it anymore. Don't tell me that. And he looked at me. I says, I came a believer. I put my trust in Jesus Christ. And he, he looked all around. See if there's anybody there. And he says, my wife's a believer too. <laughs> and within probably five minutes or ten minutes, it seemed to be everybody in that shift knew that God was good living now. <laughs> In fact, on the machine where I worked, you remember years and years ago, remember the pro, these young remember, there was a program called The Saint, and it was this detective, and it's called The Saint. And the little graphics come up before the program had a wee matchstick man with a halo around his head. <laughs> Guess what they put in my machine? <laughs> the Saint. <laughs> Talk about the stick you got in work. <laughs> See, you used to think I've been a preacher all my life, that I never worked out in the real world. Well, I did. Remember one time in the canteen, our church had a big offering for something or other, I forget what it was now. But I knew when I ended up working that night, I knew there was going to be a bit of slagging going on. I would be the brunt of it. But that was all right. And so I'm sitting eating my, this was in the middle of the night, this was night shift, three o'clock in the morning. I'm sitting eating my fish and chips. Oh, I shouldn't have said that, Sally's there. And, uh, <laughs> and up comes a line of guys with these big basins as offering baskets. There were 10 of them. They're marching up past me <laughs> to get my offering. <laughs> you got to watch your speech. It's okay to have a laugh. It's okay to have some fun. It's okay to have a bit of banter. It's okay to have a bit of crack. All that's fine. But there's a line that we must not cross. And as soon as you do, they'll know. Believe me, they'll know. And many of them will pull you on it because they'll be shocked that you said that. So there's a line. They were challenged by what they ate. Refused to eat the king's meat. It probably wasn't kosher. These were Jewish boys. And to drink the king's wine, which had been offered unto idols and gods. And so Daniel said, no. We're not going to do it. Spiritually speaking, you are what you eat. Spiritually speaking, you are what you eat. Just the way you eat food for your physical body, you need spiritual food for your spirit man. What are you feeding your spirit man? What is your daily diet? Now, I don't want to be in any way legalistic in this. But we need to be in the Word of God as much as possible as often as we can. This is what we need to feed on. So what is your diet? What is it that you will put aside and say, no, I can't eat that. That's not for me, but this is. Listen, if we're going to have a godly worldview, we need to know what God's saying. 
We need to feed ourselves the Word of God. In 1 John chapter 2, let me just read this. You don't necessarily need to turn to this. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 12, I write to you, little children. This is John, the aged John, the apostles writing. He says little children, but he's talking about adults. But to them, he's, they're like his kids. He was their spiritual father, as it were, their pastor. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men. So he's looking at different levels of where people are spiritually here. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Then he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of this world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. They were faithful living in a world of compromise. They were strong living in a world of weakness. It took guts and courage for Daniel to say to the head of the eunuchs, I'm sorry, I can't do this. Did you notice how the head of the eunuchs said, but if the king finds this out, I'm in trouble. He was thinking of himself. Now God had given him favor, Daniel favor with this eunuch, but when it came and push came to shove, he was thinking of his head. My neck's on the line, Daniel. Don't you know that? Sorry. Can't do this. Can't eat this. That took some courage. And you know how, and we read it there, how that in order to honor God, believing that God would honor them if they did this, Daniel says, here's a little test. For the next 10 days, just give us vegetables. Now, I'm not advocating you to become a a vegan or a vegan or whatever you call it or anything like that. That wasn't his point either. He says, for the next 10 days, just, just give us vegetables and water to drink and then test us after 10 days. That took courage too, didn't it? That took trust. That took belief in God. That, that, that actually took saying, God, I'm going to honor you in this and I know you'll honor me for doing this. <laughs> And God did, didn't he? And at the end of those 10 days, they were fatter and they were fairer than everybody else that took the king's meat and drank the king's wine. Why? Because God honored them. They were strong, living in a world of weakness. All those other captives, we can only surmise, buckled and give in. 
but he didn't. In Daniel chapter 6, and we'll be through in a wee moment, you young ones will get your pizza and not be burnt. Daniel chapter 6, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom and over these three governors of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. And so the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, administrators and satraps and counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish a decree, sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Let me just say, inject here, just to say this, obviously time has moved on, and Daniel's at this point serving under a different king. But nevertheless, Darius signed this decree because it stroked his ego. They were very clever in how they approached the king. And now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room, with his windows open, Toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since <coughs> early days. Hmm. Notice how that when the decree was signed, when it could not be changed, when there was no way out of this, when the opportunity to just compromise a little bit presented itself, that he would not do it. Just 30 days. He's been here for years. He's going to be here probably for the rest of his life. What is four weeks out of a lifetime? He could have thought that way. He could have said, I'll just lie low for 30 days. It's nothing. It'll be over in a flash. And then we could all come back to the way things were. But he knew he was being watched. He knew the trap had been set. And he knew that if he prayed, he would spring that trap. But boy, he did pray. And that day he prayed three times as he did a four time. He was a strong young man. And we know the rest of the story and how that he was thrown into that den of hungry lions 
and how Darius came to see what happened. And there was Daniel with a big lion for his pillow, perfectly at peace and rest because God had shut the mouth of the hungry lion. See, those that honor God, God honors them, don't they? In chapter 3, again, the three Hebrew boys and how Nebuchadnezzar set up that great statue. And the order was, when the band would strike up, that everybody was to bow down and worship his statue, the golden statue. But these three boys refused. Their enemies went to the king and said, these captives refused to bow down and worship your statue. And he was furious. It says in the Bible, he was furious, filled with rage, in order to oven to be heated seven times more than it would be wont to be heated, and to throw them in. And even as they were throwing them into that fiery furnace, the ones that were throwing them in were dying, literally dead because of the heat. But then he went to look at what was happening. And as he looked in there, he says, I don't see three men, I see four men. And even though it says in our Bible, one is like the Son of God, it probably means one is like one of the sons of the gods. But he saw four men. And those three come out of that fiery furnace. There wasn't even the smell of smoke on them. Their hair wasn't even singed. Their clothes was intact. And Nebuchadnezzar was absolutely astounded, amazed. And he made a decree that no one could speak against the God of these Hebrew boys. <laughs> Strong living in a world of weak. Winners living in a world of losers. Daniel was promoted. <laughs> he took his stand again and again. Did he lose by that? No, sir. He was promoted. He served under several kings. And God gave him the ability to understand all dreams and all visions. And out of all of those that were there, he stood out from the crowd as a winner. Three Hebrew boys, they were winners too. They even got the king to acknowledge that their God was the true God. Hmm. And so young people especially, as you grow up in this world, you will have lots of opportunities where your faith and your belief, and your trust in God, and all of that will be tested. But I say to you, be true, stand tall, stay strong. And all those who disagree and all those who may laugh at you and all those who think you're silly and a religious nut, one day will see that you were right 
and that they were wrong. Do you know, when I became that believer in that particular place where I worked, I mean, at the start, I got an awful lot of slagging and banter. And to be fair, a lot of it was good-natured, but some of it wasn't. Some of it was done in a way to put me down, to embarrass me, and it was done in front of people. There's one boy especially made it his job almost every day to try to make me look foolish. But whenever I left that job, among all the others that were there that shook my hand, and the believers who were there that bought me a book, he came up and he said to me, he says, I gave you a hard time, didn't I? I says, well, you tried to. But he says, you walked the walk as well as talked the talk. And he says, I admire you for that. <laughs> he was my biggest nemesis. He was the one who caused me more trouble than anybody. But he kept pressing, pressing. But in the end, at least he was big enough to say, do you know what? You were right. And I admire that because you stood for what you believed. Stand for what you believe because people will admire you if you stand for what you believe. If you compromise, they won't. But if you're true to God and true to his word and true to what you know to be true, stay true, stay faithful, and God will honor you. And he'll promote you and bless you. And as you grow up, there may be a time you'll come to serve him. I'm not saying on a pulpit or but in some way you'll serve him and God will favor you and bless you and honor you for your stand. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I especially think of young folks and all that they face in school and college and uni and all the rest of it. Lord, I just pray that you'll give them that strength and that grace to be true to you and to be true to themselves. And I thank you that you will favor them and bless them. So Lord, I pray that you will put a hedge around them. Thank you, Lord, for their stand, for their faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, that they own you and have committed themselves to you. So bless them. Bless them at school. Bless them at college. Bless them at uni. Bless them, Lord, as they grow into this world and get jobs and careers. And Lord, may they still be true and still hold fast because, Lord, you honor that. So we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk.